0: Welcome to In The Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following is excerpted from a session of Dharma Dialogues held in Lennox South Australia in April of 2019. It's called The Burdens of Pretension. I also wanted to let you know that we've again booked the spectacular New Zealand five-day retreat for April 2020 and also a ten-day retreat in Italy starting in late October 2020. Details on the website. This is from Krishnamurti. It's very short. A lily or a rose never pretends, and its beauty is that it is what it is. Hmm. A lily or a rose never pretends, and its beauty is that it is what it is. So another way of saying... It's manifest in its own complete authenticity. And it's not trying to be authentic either. It's, it's just that. And it's something that eludes us as humans. I've always loved Leonard Cohen's line in his song, In My Secret Life. It's so honest. Uh, his stanza, rather, where he says, I smile when I'm angry. I cheat and I lie. I do what I have to do to get by. (laughs) Right. So we all understand, right? We all understand this very well. And yet we incline to authenticity. We admire it, right? We love it when we see it. But it does... You know, as we become more socialized as creatures, we make adjustments, we make compromises, we have fears. We want to be approved of, want people to like us, we want to get something that we're after. And we make little tiny adjustments as we go. Now, I've noticed in my life... The, the quieter I get, the more those little adjustments and those little contortions become quite irritating to me. It's like having an irritant, like having a pebble in the shoe. And so when, <clears throat> when I release them and move into authenticity, no matter what the cost and often it does have a cost, um, I find that I, it, it, it instills a confidence to keep doing that, to keep living in that authenticity. Because I notice that the compromise is far worse living with a feeling of compromise, living with a feeling of some dishonesty or some way that I'm not being fully, uh, fully truthful. Sometimes that's just to oneself even, right? Sometimes you have to look at something that's been whispering in your ear and maybe you're ignoring it and distracting yourself and it might start whispering in your dreams and then the whispers get louder and louder but when you're very quiet you hear those whispers kind of right away they don't have to turn into a shout so when we're when we're sitting with someone who we can sense is quite authentic and we all can sense that strangely we We mostly don't like it when we're with someone who we feel is inauthentic, right, and some people just can't help but live at that live in that way they're too they're too scared, but when we are with someone who's fully themselves, we do see it as kind of beautiful, don't we it's a thing of beauty it's why we love animals and all kinds of you know so much of nature and babies and you know they just are what they are. Anyway, it takes some kind of maybe initial bravery and also a recognition that the alternative is far worse, living in compromise, internal compromise. And it's amazing how many times I've learned this lesson in my life, how many times I've been afraid to say the thing that was hard to say or to make the adjustment that was going to be a big disruption. And yet there comes a point where I realize there's no choice now. It has to be done because it's too unbearable otherwise. And and usually on the other side of it, once that adjustment has been made, once that compromise has been released there is such a kind of clarity such a kind of you know being like washed in freedom and one feels sort of beautiful to oneself in those moments <laughs>
1: I've been fortunate for the last 20 years to work with a local hospice service called mm. Amateus. Mm. And um, when you speak about authenticity, this is one of the primary... You know, I'd say Buddhist-inspired um, um, teachings that come to the fore when, when we're, we're training people. And a lot of it's very uh, experiential in that there's a lot of role plays and workshops and so on. And people get reflected back to them what their relationship to death is and, yes. to, of course, to life. but yes. and, But to, to the loss of, of they don't know what. but yeah. Right. And, and,
0: um, and, a, and a recognition that, you know... There's not much to lose at that point when you're facing facing yeah, death. You can, that's
1: right. yeah, yeah. And uh, the the beauty of it is, more often than not, um, the client, as we call them, appreciates authenticity in the carers, yeah. and sometimes that's giving up any illusions that you can rescue rescue the person or take them out of pain or whatever. Uh, and when you When you go through that moment of awkwardness where you feel that impulse, but you give it up and you just are present with them and responsive to what only to whatever their needs are, then um, an intimacy develops where uh, there's no hierarchy at all. You're, Mm. you're equal. Beautiful. And, and it's, um, it feels a privilege to be in the position of the carer. And the client feels that they're privileged to have volunteers coming in and doing it for nothing. And they go, how come you do this? And, and uh, of course, we say because we love our work, because yeah. we, we we love the opportunity to be able to serve people. We're not heroes at all. And, uh, and you learn about, as you pointed out, you learn about your own limitations because they come to the fore in those relationships.
0: Yeah, how beautiful. Yeah. You know, I... I've I do imagine that it is a great privilege to, to do that kind of work.
1: It is, and I find that I'm I'm much more easily able to be authentic in that circumstance than often I am in my own uh, my own uh, intimate life circumstance. Yeah. I yeah. certainly make the effort, but uh, it's almost uh, obligatory there if, yeah. you, if you're sensitive enough. You don't, you don't have any choice really,
0: right? So. And any any. Uh, <laughs> dissembling in that context would seem particularly, you know... Um, blatant. Blatant. <laughs> <laughs> Loud. Yes, yes. I think one of the, one of the um, things that I would wonder about is... Well, actually, I'll start with a short a true story. Many, many, many years ago, uh, I was living in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and there was a couple who lived down the street from where I lived... Um, and they were quite a celebrated couple. The husband was one of the big psychology professors at Harvard. His name was David McClellan, and he had been very influential to Timothy Leary and Ram Dass. And And his wife was named Mary McClellan, and their home was quite a hub of incredible people who came through and lots of people lived there and people had houses around the neighborhood um, with them as a kind of central focus. Um, Well, Mary McClellan got cancer. She was elderly at the time, probably my age now. (laughs) And because they knew so many people and lots of people who were Dharma teachers and this and that, there was someone who was a well-known death and dying counselor who came by to see her And he presented with her as though he was counselling her in some way. But she said something to him, which somebody who was in the room told me later, um, which I found was so interesting. She she said to him, ''I'm sorry, but you don't actually know what it's like to be dying.'' (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, so uh, one of the things that I sometimes wonder, and I love what you've said about simply being present, that's it. Because any smack of here you are still in a healthy body and you're with someone who's dying, right, any any hint of presenting that you might know, no matter how many people you've sat with who were dying, and you would have some information about the process, but the internal reality of it is a bit different. And and so I love what you said in terms of the innocence of, you know, not even having the thought that you're helping them, right? But just that you're there. That's a lot, and it's good enough.
2: I've been noticing... Um I can't say for how long, but there was something about um, heading towards 60, turning 60, and my mother died at the end of last year and that was a really um, very precious gift. And there's something you know, quite seismic going on underneath and I'm mm. aware of. And it has to do with authenticity and embracing just what is right now. And and I'm, I can say I've been doing lots of practice for a long time, but I wonder about the um you know being presented with the death of my mother and being with her in the far last few weeks the um the utter finality hmm. and how it just um you know, it's so mysterious, and I could make up all sorts of stories. But to to find myself there, and and to watch her give up any pretension, you mm. know, it was quite extraordinary. And and for myself to to feel this movement, to just be what is, but then sometimes I do get a bit concerned because I notice I'm becoming a bit more disinhibited, at times. <laughs> and things just come out of my mouth. I think, oh my God, how's that going to land? So (laughs) it's it's one of the privileges of
0: being in your 60s. I think so. (laughs) There's so few. Might as well grab the ones that we
2: have. (laughs) I think so. So I'm finding that, you know, there's something quite amusing going on with it, too. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just Mm -hmm. like, and, but I, so it's a spectrum of uh, responses I'm noticing in myself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. about. Um, what is it? Can't, just feeling that sense that um, I, I can't say I know how long there is. You know, even that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, but the, but it increases the the sort of the preciousness or the imperative. I think. Yes, there's it does. That yes. That's going on. Oh, that's good to say that. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah.
0: <clears throat> you used the word finality. It's the word I often hook on in the, in the deaths of my loved ones. I notice quite clearly, that's the primary thing I notice, the finality. And as you alluded to, uh, without a story, um, right, just for sure that's the finality <laughs> you know and and that is an incredibly powerful thing to come to terms with there's no negotiation with it you know It it's just um, what one has to surrender to and yeah and I love I, I love what you've said here about all, all of it yeah the the seismic uh, effect of that, of that, and losing a parent is your other parent alive?
2: No. So I'm an orphan Was, so, yes. now, so, yes. which in itself is a whole new, yes. wide open space.
0: Yes, and it's so interesting. I've often thought this too because I, my father, only just died in um, in um, November, and my mother is still alive. And to be this age and have and until quite recently, have both parents alive. It's mm. such a rare thing mm. historically. It's probably extremely rare historically. Mm. Um, and so there's a great blessing in that. But at the same time, you're used to having your parents around all these many, many years. Mm. So in a way, it's another kind of, it's a greater loss of sorts, you know, in, mm. in that you're mm. there's so much a, an integral part of, of your lived life of all this time.
2: That's right, the background fabric.
0: That's right. And I spoke recently about how um, the, uh, the loss of anyone who has walked beside you for a very long time also means a a loss of a certain type of your own history, that there was a witness to your life in a certain specific way that is now not there. And all of those kind of pieces, it's not just one loss. It's a finality to a lot of different things. And so there is, I love your word, seismic, because there's a seismic adjustment as to who one even feels oneself to be. And that becomes more...
2: ...mysterious as the losses pile up. Yes, it does. Um, it's hard to find definitions... Yeah. ...defining. Yeah. yeah. So that,
0: it's, it, it's it's also very strangely freeing... ...you know... Yes. Um, ...in yes. that you're... It, it takes away a lot of the self-referencing... ...because the self you were referencing to... ...this yes. historical self starts to look more amorphous. Mm. So you just find yourself kind of... Mm. I mean, I speak a lot about just being an awake animal Mm. and just keep coming back to that, you know? Yeah. I read something that Eckhart Tolle said. um, I'm not going to quote it exactly right, but I'll get the meaning, which is that he was talking about how in... In the surrender into presence and having that be your sort of pure experience, it that is usually perfectly fine. But if you think about your contextual experience, like what's the context, that often has trouble with it, yeah right so so if you're just purely in the presence and in tasting and seeing, and okay, now I'm washing the dishes, or not even saying I'm washing the dishes, just the dishes are getting washed by this mm-hmm. creature. And you know, you're know you just going along like that, and it's fine. But if you start thinking about, oh, my life and the context and the losses and the this and the that, and who am I and what about that, and mm-hmm. how is it going to be in the future for me and all that I love, and... Mm. then there's trouble yes. <laughs> yes. and of course we do because we're humans we do have those kinds of thoughts we can't eliminate them entirely but mm. it is interesting to mm. sometimes especially in the aftermath of a large loss mm. where you're just thrown into like a big huge surrender of like okay it's just just this for however long this is running you know
2: mm. Um mm. It's a very. It's powerfully freeing. It is. It is very freeing. Uh, I was very fortunate to be able to do a one month retreat um, recently, and it was a great opportunity to to feel a lot of releasing of a lot of the the historical um, threads, you know, and when I mean, a lot of memory came and mm-hmm. went and a lot of release from the body and and now I, it feels um, a lot more quiet and there isn't, there, there are certain tendencies of the habit to pick up, to go to the past and pick up the old, you know, but I'm noticing that it, I don't really want to look over there and it's, um, so yeah, it is a lot quieter. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's
0: lovely.
1: I'm interested in, um, how you have been talking about relates to, uh, to vulnerability because, um, in a colloquial sense or in a common sense, vulnerability is often thought to be a negative thing. Whereas I'm finding the older I get and um, um, the more that when I have those moments where I'm just being present and I'm, and I'm feeling um, um, connected, I, I feel that there's a greater vulnerability. Because, as you say, it's it, you're, if you're authentic with with yourself and, and with those that you're relating to, then you are taking chances because you're being honest, yes. from your heart, rather than what's going to get you whatever you think it is you need, whether it's protection or gain or whatever. Yes. And the vulnerability, uh, in my case, has has. I lived in an ashram for many years and uh, and done lots of meditation. and Had beliefs about all kinds of things, reincarnation and so on. And I don't argue with anyone else's belief about that. But I, I find that uh, that I really can't be certain about anything like that because the finality of death. Doesn't give that answer. No. Perhaps it gives you some kind of answer <laughs> when you do pass <laughs> on. But I won't know about it until I'm gone, anyway. No. <laughs> and and there not- and
0: there and there's no uh, evidence in in, in sight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. exactly. So it's uh, I I appreciate the uh, uh, the kind of humility that 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 vulnerability leaves you mm-hmm. with. But at the same time, as you pointed out, it does make you feel more gratitude, more strength, more honesty, all those things.
0: Yeah, I, I I feel the exact same. I feel that there's increasing vulnerability in many ways, um, physically for one, but also um, there's a tenderizing that's happening as you get quieter and deeper and as you have had the losses pile up, you know. And it's not as if you you become more inured to loss. Um, in a way, it's that each new loss is adding on to the, all the already existing losses, you know, and that the heart breaks a bit more. And, um, and yet, I mean, I could end that whole entire thing with just those words, and yet, as... Um, as Issa did. Do you know that Issa haiku? Yeah. Um, um, well, it's like it's also about the risk of loving. You know that you get more and more clear that that love is a high risk business. <laughs> you know and that you you know you jump in you f- fools rush in you know it's like um you you still do you can't help it and in in a weird way you you love more you know you you love more i was walking on the beach with my girlfriend yesterday she's someone who i feel one of the most resonant with in emotionally She and I have a a very clear emotional conversation. Um, So she has a little daughter who has a brain tumor who's six years old. And one of her eyes is crossed. Well, actually, her one eye is crossed. The eyes switch and cross. So there's always one eye that's crossed, but it's not always the same eye. Um, But she's going to be getting a, an operation to uh, change the muscle so that the eye won't be as crossed um, hopefully that's what the hope is you know so her mother was telling me that see they've raised her with such uh, self confidence I mean they're incredible parents and she's a really confident kid um, and very athletic and um, but now she's in school and she's always been taught that whenever anybody asked her about her eye she always has been taught to say I'm I'm just different everybody has some differences but now it's getting to be a lot because you know how kids are and they want to be they want to be like everybody else you know so her mother was telling me about the conversation that I'm going to start crying if I talk about it about the conversation that she had with her little girl about the fact that they're gonna to try to do this and it's gonna fix maybe maybe fix her eye, and so she said to her mother, You mean my eyes will be like yours and Daddy's eyes and her mom said, yes that's that's what we're hoping, and like everybody else's eyes. And so anyway, the two of us just burst into tears as we're walking on the beach and having this conversation. You know, because I feel that it's like when you're when you when you are living at the bottom line of what it is to be here, right? The incredible vulnerability of of everything and that everyone is carrying these incredible burdens and everyone is subject to so much suffering and loss, whether they're aware of it or not, it's coming. And, you know, you just, you know, it's like every every little nuance can can kind of break your heart, you know, every... So certainly in what you're doing, it's right there and yet one has to bear up you know you have to keep bearing up so yes the vulnerability and yet in the surrender to being vulnerable there's a strange strength that comes you know and and you keep doing it and you keep getting more confident in it and you are willing to cry when you like i cry much more than i used to when i was young you know And yet I feel stronger, I feel way stronger psychologically and dharmically, you could say.
3: It's about being authentic to oneself, even... um, It was something this morning, route walking lighthouse. I said something that as it came out, I heard it as kind of negative... Wrong. Should have censored it. I find that such a dilemma. <laughs> like, where's the authentic part in that? For me, it was authentic that I said it afterwards. I went, ooh. ooh. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. And since then, I've been thinking about that. Of like, what uh, to not censor, to hopefully grow beyond. But you know, it's.
0: Well, I don't, yeah. think, I don't think authenticity uh, requires non-censoring of thoughts. I think that you can be in, in a great authenticity and be discerning about which thoughts can be shared and spoken. Because a lot of, let's face it, a lot of what goes through our minds... Is just dross, you know. <laughs> it's just spam. Yeah. And you don't want to just spatter that all, all out every minute. Mm-hmm. And 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 as you're experiencing, there's sometimes a blowback with having spoken something without a kind of clear seeing of what the, the effect might be, not that you can always predict. But um, so I, I would say there is a fine line about not repressing things that really need to be said and knowing that you're, you know, being then sitting with a kind of repression and a feeling like you're swallowing something very bitter. Um, but on the other hand, not feeling obliged to say things that might be hurtful or might be have not represent your real intentions or be too complicated to kind of too much work to wrestle with to sort of get your point across and, and 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 that and that I think is an ongoing skill that we all are learning mm-hmm. you know and, and so occasionally one does have a a moment where you've said something and you wish uh, that it could have just as well been not said <laughs> yeah and then, and then that's also part of the learning and it's part of the that's part of the coming to your own authenticity your own deep authenticity because that your own authenticity also gives you permission to not speak do you know what i mean yes. your own authenticity gives you permission to not have to speak i went home, i've told this story before but it's the moment it's a good moment to tell it again i was at a um dinner party in San Francisco and and at this dinner party were all these sort of like environmental, there's like 12 people or 15 people maybe and sort of environmental leaders and a few Dharma teachers the head of Zen Center Zen Hospice was there um, um, and uh, a few other people and so Someone, the host of the party, uh, suggested that we that we offer, if we wanted, for each of us to sort of speak about where we were at our moment in history and where where we were where we were going. This was a few years back, so almost everybody spoke. But I didn't really feel like I had anything to add or I didn't have any need to speak. I didn't speak, right? Well, I happened to be staying with two people. I was just visiting San Francisco at the time, and I happened to be staying with a couple, and they had both spoken. But the next morning, they were in this massive (laughs) self-recrimination about what they had said, and they kept saying to me, you were so smart not to speak. But it wasn't like I had made any big decision about... I'm definitely not going to speak. It was that I was listening to myself as to whether or not I wanted to speak and did I have anything I needed to say. Um, So, yeah, in that moment, I happened to be very tuned in to my own system, right? And that's the authenticity that comes more and more clear, right? Right. And we make missteps along the way, and that's how we learn, right? My friends, for instance, they would probably think twice if they're in another circumstance like that about whether I really have some burning need to speak or am I just speaking because I want to be cool, I want to do whatever, you know, I want to be one of the important people speaking and all of that, you know. And it's the way that... uh, some of what we're speaking about today in terms of vulnerability, in terms of authenticity, and in terms of the mystery of the self, a lot of, um, like, unhooking from the need to present somebody, right? And maybe even somebody to yourself, somebody who has to uphold their own opinions, right? Right? Unhooking from all that material gives you a free pass in a lot of circumstances, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially social circumstances, you know, so that a lot of times you can just sit quietly in a circumstance and not feel, yeah, not feel the need to to speak your mind. Mm.
3: There was, um, along with this was, it was just a throwaway thing going, oh, I've still got those thoughts. Okay. So anyway, the coffee cart. And I realised I was getting, um, this isn't a word, but unrelaxed with friends that I would normally be very relaxed. Mm. When I went home, I picked up your book, Passionate Presence, and the part that I read was about you sitting with the Dalai Lama Ah. and about being very relaxed.
0: Yes. That's
3: that's what I needed to read. (laughs) Yes. I I haven't connected the two yet, but I know that they're to do with
2: each other.
0: Yes, well, they are exactly what we're talking about here because the point I was making is that... In his company, because he's not doing a somebody, even though he's the Dalai Lama. Um, <laughs> he's not wearing that role. I mean, except in a very obviously he's he isn't in denial about it either, but but it, it's not like there's some sense of some big somebody who's so different from you at all, right. He makes you feel like a peer, like an equal, like self unto self. So I've been around him quite a few times and interviewed him a couple of times. And um, in his company, it's like hanging out with a grandmother, right? It's just, you know, there's just this ease. And it's a great, it was, of course, a great privilege to do that, but it's also a Part of the privilege is to, as an instruction of how to be and how to put people at ease, you know, and how to really, like, again, unhooking from the sense of self or the need of self to present oneself um, a particular way or be seen or any of that. But let me just go back to one other thing you said. Um, it is also fair to notice if in the company of some of your friends, if you're not feeling entirely relaxed anymore, and that may be a function of realizing that if you are fully authentic and speak your mind, it will be... Um, it will cause a seismic roll of, of the energy in the room. And that does become uncomfortable after a point. And so another thing to keep in mind is sometimes we walk together for a while with someone and everything is simpatico and then something either changes in them or in us or change happens and our paths start to diverge and and it's very very difficult sometimes to force the issue right even though there's history even though there's a lot of love but sometimes we find that the communication is no longer smooth or that it's not smooth like for a lot of time spent together it might be smooth for a short time
3: yeah
0: yeah and and those that that
4: does happen. I'm just going to try not to get upset as I ask this question, and try and stay clear. Um, I've had a question for you for about a month, oh. so it's nice to. And I don't know if it's a question you can answer, but um, you know, as you know, I've been quite unwell. And um, so it was a moment, well, not a moment, but there was this period when I was unwell. And, you know, because of how, you know, how the illness is with MS, it's, you know, I can't get away from it. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can stop doing.
0: Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's nothing. Yeah.
4: And um, at this particular time, this my body, you know, feeling really fatigued and pain, and really strong acute depression, you know, which I didn't even. It's a, it's a strange experience of depression because it's not something you can manage. It's kind of just like a cold. Yeah,
0: you know. like a it's bodily just, experience. That's yeah.
4: it. You got it. Yeah, but you feel like the world has just turned into an extremely dark place. Um, and one night I was thinking of you, you know, and I was thinking, what do I hold on to when it's that bad, you know, mm-hmm. like how, how, what do I hold on to, mm-hmm. you know, I couldn't find anything, mm-hmm. and I know that these things pass, but, and this is the other thing I was thinking, I've been reading your article about human extinction and everything. And what it's brought to me is this, this may be my last incarnation. I mean, this is the truth anyway, that this is all we have is now. But I need to be here. Yes. I need to experience all I can. But when my experience is illness and limitation. Yes. I can't do anything for a whole day or a week or a month it's really hard. Like yes. how can I be here with that in a way that I want to be that you know, that doesn't make it a fucking job.
0: Yeah.
4: You know? So I just wonder if you have anything
0: Any thoughts?
4: You in those acute phases, like I'm okay now. It's still there, but that will come back. You know, I know that 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 will I will have those experiences. At points again. And I'd like to... I don't know. Or, like, I'd like to to find some courage Mm -hmm. to be prepared to have those experiences Mm -hmm. again, not to duck out. Yeah. You know what I mean? To meet those experiences that I'm not so frightened, of that experience that I don't even want to really be present in my life or my body, because I don't really want to get to that place. I mean, i have something some something to give me a, a sense of courage that it's worth while staying conscious, staying aware. Do you know? Yes, does that make I sense? do,
0: I hear you very well, yes. Yeah. Well first of all just to acknowledge how hard I can imagine that is, you know, um and having of course no matter what we say about not projecting about the future. If you have a disease like that and you have had so many experiences of it bringing you down, any rational person is going to have a certain bracing about this. It could keep happening, of course, and will probably keep happening. Um,
4: <clears throat> but even if it doesn't, it's also um, honestly facing the present reality.
0: Yes, yes. Even if
4: you don't go into the future, yes, the denial yes. of your current right. reality and your limitations and the things that you can't do that you're pretending that you still can do.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah? Yes.
4: So even being present with what is right. alone if you go there.
0: Right. Gotcha. Right. Well, I mean, let me ask you a few questions about this, though. I have known you to have lots of, it seems like you've had lots of fun. Yeah, I still have fun. Yeah, there you when I forget (laughs) my
4: problems.
0: (laughs) I mean, you walked the Cinque Terre recently, right? Just a few months back. Um, so you do have a lot of moments, uh, or or phases, or periods that are pretty good. Yeah. So to to I think one one thing is to not paint with such a a huge brush the story. And I'm not saying you're making up a story. I'm just saying, yeah, of course there are times when you're flattened in the day and that's a day you can't do anything. But there are other days where you're walking the chinquitera, right? And other other fun things. Um so um Right, because there's a great uh, catastrophizing tendency that many of us have, you know. Um, and so you have to keep that really in check. Yeah. I have a much, of my, a much more minor version of it, you know, but as you, you've probably heard me say, I have foot problems. They're getting worse and worse. And sometimes I go to, what if I'm not going to be able to walk, right? Um... And, you know, and I'll try that on for a scary moment, you know, and then, real, and then, and then realize, well, I can still hobble around. So I'm going to stick with that. Um, so, so that's one part. Um, another part, and this hope doesn't shock anybody, but I have a feeling I'm okay in this particular group. Might have to cut this out of the podcast, but, um, you know, be ready to die you know that is where this is all going and so you know it's like the old cliches die before you die and then you're able to live you know it's sort of like you just say okay and you stop comparing what you used to have and do right I used to be a long distance runner from my school (laughs) I used to have to run hours a day for practice, um, right? It was a long time ago, and there's a lot of other things that have gone since then. And so, you know, to really not torment yourself with the what once was or what should have been or the if-onlys or what is going to happen and... And even though those thoughts will come through, really not indulge them. You know, let them come. Who cares? They come anyway. But they don't have to stay. They don't have to stick around. I often say, let it, let it stream, don't download it. <laughs> 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 you know, and, and that is really the ex- true experience, is that it's streaming. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's only our interest that starts downloading it.
4: Yeah, but it does feel different when it's coming from the bottom up, when it's coming from the body into yes. the mind.
0: Yes, yes. It's
4: a, it's a reality that wakes you up or yes. is there, surprises you or punches you in the gut. It's not something you choose to think, right. feel or not feel.
0: Right, and uh, maybe there could be a way of you allowing... For those times where it's taken over, and to not, if you could just not paint it with this brush of permanence, right? But to really just sort of see it as, okay, I'm in this, and this is hard, and this is going to have to, I'm going to wait this one out, right? And I mean, I I know people who have um, rheumatoid arthritis, for instance, right? And, And they have some days they can't move. They can't do anything. They're bedridden. And then other days when they, you know, and I have also have friends who have chronic fatigue, which is a puny name for um, what it actually is in many cases, right? Um, That it's debilitating. And yet, mysteriously, they might have a day when they feel totally fine and they're like out hiking, you know, so it's very mysterious, these, these kinds of weird illnesses. And um, is MS considered an autoimmune? Yeah. Yeah, the autoimmune category of illnesses is very mysterious and interesting and strange and, and uh, unpredictable. Um, you know.
4: it's
0: different depending on Yes, yes. And do you find there's a stress correlation Yeah, who knows, yeah, mm-hmm. some yeah. people, yeah, yeah, anyway, mm-hmm. definitely, my recommendation in this regard are the things I have said just now, and with particular focus on not not experiencing it as a permanent state because you can quickly rationally um, disabuse yourself of that idea,
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: yeah. Thank
5: you. You're welcome. I I think I just want to stay on that same theme for a moment. Sure. Because it it hit me when you read the Krishnamurti piece too, and it's about um, physical issues, yeah? yeah? So I've had back injuries since I was 16 and... Now both my shoulders are sore for different reasons, right? So it's not anything at this level that you're talking about, but this constant reminder of the body's not okay, the body's not okay, the body's not okay. So when you were reading this piece about, you know, the rose and et cetera, straight away it's almost like the the, the thought that I feel like I want to confess is, well, I would be a rose, you know, or, or you know, the flower, the particular flower that I am. Mm. If it wasn't for the pain, yeah. So somehow the injury makes me feel that I'm not in my pure expression. If that makes sense. So it's like this this injury that's happening uh, makes me not my essential self. Does that make sense? No. No. <laughs>
0: okay, I'll try again. I appreciate that it makes sense to you. Okay, but, yes. Um, okay, I'll try again. No, no, I, I yeah. understand what you're saying, okay. but I just don't agree.
5: Okay, yeah, well, let's...
0: And, I, and I, can, I can, you know, in three sentences, probably I can get you to see that you don't agree either because because you've known people who were in pain who were absolutely beautiful. In fact, not only despite the pain... But even sometimes because of the pain, right? Mm. Has is this not true? Yes,
5: this is true. This is this is true, yeah.
0: There's one sitting there, for instance. Yeah, see. Yes, mm. so right. Mm. So you've known you know, it's like the broken winged birds or you know. It's so beautiful. Mm. Especially Especially when they, like my little six year old friend who until a lot of kids are saying to her, "What's wrong with your eyes?" But she didn't know before that 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 was a problem, mm. right and And so seeing her and feeling her her self-confidence mm. I found I have found in knowing her it's very, very beautiful, it's very mm. cool, mm. right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, these bodies fall apart Mm -hmm. at different paces Mm -hmm. with all kinds of factors at play. Mm -hmm. That is a guarantee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) I've known many people who were disabled in different ways. You know, but whose faces were just like lit from within
5: mm-hmm. thank you it's good that's good yeah. I, I i it's like um it's a reminder really because when i when I remember the people that I've been touched by mm-hmm. that are in physical pain mm-hmm. or or dying mm-hmm. um it's like they're more. is like they're more themselves right. than they were before. Yes, you know. I'm thinking when my father was dying. It's like the first time I ever saw him. It's like my first experience of like, oh, there you are. Oh, Do you know wow. what I mean?
0: Yeah.
5: <laughs> Finally, in like the a, nick of time. Yes.
0: <laughs> right.
5: So, um, but with you know, but when. I haven't quite learned to turn that back on myself
0: well i wonder I wonder you know if you have been indoctrinated by some and I know you're suspicious of new age uh, belief systems, mm. but if you have been in infected by mm. some new age yeah, story that yeah, says yes. if you're not in full whole yes. wholesome health yes, that yes. something's wrong with you, yeah. you know which uh, I really yeah. really take issue with yeah. as you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
5: and I wonder, too, as I'm speaking, just you know as a as a man to lose physical strength mm-hmm. to lose a sense of physical mm-hmm. strength, mm-hmm. it just increases that sense of vulnerability somewhere that's a bit scary, yeah. and um there's a bit of a fight. Go on about it
0: scary to the sense of self that you had been identified with, yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: yeah. Anyway, look, there's a bit to contemplate
0: there. Yeah, I yeah, know, yeah. but um, yeah. I appreciate you bringing it up. Yeah. and And it's very interesting. And I think a lot of people are afflicted with these kinds of beliefs, you know, especially in New Age circles, yeah. you know, it's a yes. New Age tyranny oh about it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so... I
5: thought you were going to say New Age terrorism, but it's the same.
0: <laughs> <laughs> similar. similar.
5: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, Mm. and it's so cruel a thing, you know, Mm. such a cruel belief system. Mm. Aside from being untrue, (laughs) in my opinion. We see plenty of examples of, well, everywhere you see the examples of very beautiful, very awake people who have died of cancer, died of this and died of that, and had different types of illnesses and mm. all of those things, you know. Yes. But there, there can be almost a shame that sometimes comes in the new age circles about getting ill and then you're expected to figure out a way to get rid of it and then yes. you're not doing that properly yes. and, yes. you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
5: So the rose is perfectly a rose. Yes. With cancer or with pain or...
0: In its authenticity, yes. just as it is. Yeah. That's the whole point, mm. you know. Mm. And,, um, yeah mm. like I said, if you see you know if you see a little broken winged bird hobbling around, mm. now you would might you might feel compassion, but you you would also see its beauty, mm. you know, especially in the case of animals, they just carry on with the new program. They're probably not in a big comparing about how things used to be, mm. right? They're just. Actually, there's another quote. I almost was going to read this one. This is from Krishnamurti. As you walked on the beach, the waves were enormous, and they were breaking with magnificent curve and force. You walked against the wind, and suddenly you felt there was nothing between you and the sky, and this openness was heaven. To be so completely open, vulnerable to the hills, to the sea, and to man is the very essence of meditation. To have no resistance, to have no barriers inwardly towards anything, to be really free completely from all the minor urges, compulsions, and demands with all their little conflicts and hypocrisies, is to walk in life with open arms. And that evening, walking there on that wet sand with the seagulls around you, you felt the extraordinary sense of open freedom and the great beauty of love, which was not in you or outside you but everywhere. (laughs) You know, it's like that, you just... You know, we're just here for a short time. (laughs) And we, because we're thinking creatures, we make a lot of problems that we don't need to make, right? And a lot of our problems center around self-identity And I'm not suggesting that one can go through life without any feeling of self, of course, but that it can be more fluid and amorphous, right? More mysterious and more light. And it doesn't quite require the protection that usually we're trying to surround it with. And so it can also be understood, obviously we have the big one, but also all the little ones too, being willing to die to all the identity, to being a man of a, with a certain prowess and a certain physicality and even, you know, or being a woman who once was beautiful and is now older and maybe not seen that way, you know, in the classical or the conventional sense or all of those things that, all of the many letting goes that come with living and, um, and. and all of those letting goes are letting go into freedom, They're, you know, it's into the open sky. <laughs> hmm.
5: Beautiful
6: answer, hmm. thank you. That's the same kind of thing that I struggle with that the process of ageing, my body changing, not being as capable. And I've just been, this last week, reading um, a a, a book and there's one chapter in particular. It talks about the relationship between a man of the world, a woman of the world versus a man of the spirit, a woman of the spirit. And I've just been sitting and contemplating that the more I have identified as a woman of the world, My beauty, my age, my strength, my capability, my ability to do stuff is at the forefront of my reality, of my authenticity. And I had a sense, uh, that real sense of I can still be authentic by being a woman of the world, a woman of that physical world, because that's where my head is, my mind is, my my spirit is in Mm -hmm. that relationship. But it makes me incredibly vulnerable to the fallibility of my body and mm-hmm. the fallibility of the material physicality of what's what I'm living and what's going on in mm-hmm. my world. And I started to get this sense of a continuum. Like this, it's not one or the other. Good. It's this Good. essence of who it is that I am. Yes. In the in the context that you were talking about yeah. and. Living that authenticity, whether it's a physical environment or the physical world, or whether it's in meditation or I'm sitting or I'm inquiring. And it's it becomes a, for me a much gentler place of allowing as opposed to judging and pushing and I've always called it like a new age guilt, you know, not beautiful enough, not young enough, not rich enough, not, you know, not authentic enough or whatever it is, which is it's just opinion that I might take on which is not relevant. And so this street fight that I've had <laughs> of trying to be authentic and still live in this physical world, being a woman of the world, and the beautiful transition release honoring of my authenticity as i move more into that that woman of the spirit and it's and it's beautiful yeah it's a really beautiful space then when i bring that sense that that essence that sense of me into my physical world then it just lights it up even more yes. and that with my limitations and my, and my uh, inabilities to do what I used to or how I used to be, it, it becomes so much less relevant it, it, because my experience is different in those different contexts. It's something that I've been very aware of in this, in, you know, as I quieten a bit more and settle a bit more and don't move as fast, and that's been, um, uh, yeah, very beautiful. So authenticity is, is a topic that is uh,
0: very true to me at this moment in time. Beautiful. Love that. And I love your use of the word continuum in this, you know, that, yes, that you're just moving on a wider spectrum of possibilities, right? And that you can play on any of them, right? And, of course, enjoy while you have this great physicality working. Enjoy, enjoy, you know. But I think part of what you're speaking about has to do with how heavy is the identity, right, with any of this, right? Correct. And then how light is the authenticity? Yeah.
6: (laughs) So the heavier my identity is. The more it blocks that authenticity that I can bring to that mm-hmm. that context, that mm-hmm. environment mm-hmm. and and allowing that to be released, allowing that to to not be the leader, the the front, the pointy end of myself, it becomes a, a much more uh, connected and beautiful experience.
0: Yes, beautiful. This has been In The Deep. You can find the entire list of In The Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private session by phone or Skype, or make either a one-time or a recurring tax-deductible donation. Assuming you like these podcasts, we would also appreciate a review wherever you're getting yours. Till next time.